the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 5 of the podcast, and my name is Kate Setter. I am your host for today. Our topic of conversation today is social-emotional learning, and we have two esteemed guests in the studio with us. Dr. Phoebe Jordan and Dr. Aria Fiat are both here to help us explore this topic. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Excited to talk about this topic. I love that we're talking about this topic because as I um, shared with you as we were kind of chatting before we got started, um, this has come up many times just kind of in my life as a parent recently, and I have found myself wanting to know more because I think it's one of those topics that um, different people are kind of perceiving it differently. So could we maybe start our conversation with just kind of background, what is social emotional learning and why is, um, why is it a topic that is important for us to talk about? So you're absolutely right that this is a topic that gets talked about a lot, but I don't think people always have a full understanding of what it is and, and what the full scope of it can be in schools. Um, so broadly, social emotional learning is the process through which all young people and young adults acquire and apply the knowledge, the skills, and the attitudes to build relationships, um, develop healthy identities, manage their emotions, feel empathy for others, um, and make responsible and caring decisions. So it focuses on children's internal emotional regulation and awareness skills, and then how they understand those around them and uh, act in ways that are in service of themselves and others. And what I really like about social emotional learning is that it really isn't one thing, but really it's it's an approach to educating children and preparing them to be fully human beings in a really challenging world. Um, And school and the world can be very stressful for kids. So social emotional learning is a tool to help them be successful and be empowered uh, to have those positive experiences and continue to excel. So you mentioned school. And so when we're talking about learning, these, this is kind of an idea. Is that an okay way to put that, that is applied in classroom settings? Or like, how should we think about how they, like, how this comes to life for kids? I think framework is a, a good way to think about it because it, broadly, yes, it is an idea and then it's applied in certain ways. So it's applied usually through like specific instruction in the skills that we've talked about that's delivered by teachers or counselors. And it's also about transforming the school environment to be really safe and caring um, and help all the adults in the school environment apply and practice those same social emotional learning skills. So is it a new framework? Is it a new way of thinking? Yeah, so social emotional learning has actually been around for a very long time. um, And it really kind of stems from the desire to make school a safe, supportive, and inclusive place um, for all kids. So it's nothing new. It's something, um, if you think about sending a child off to kindergarten, everybody understands that that child needs to be able 
to be prepared to do things like share and make friends. And that is nothing that's new. And so it's really using the term social emotional learning is a way to codify what schools have been doing for a really long time and a way of delivering that with more intentionality because it can be really tricky uh, to translate that and, and frankly to make it understood to parents what's happening. And so social emotional learning gives us the language and the tools to deliver it. It's not necessarily anything that's been recently invented. So what does the application of the social emotional framework, what does that look like? How does it come to life in classrooms? Yeah, so there's a, there's a number of components that are gonna be really important for schools to effectively deliver social emotional learning. And what makes everything tricky is that schools are already quite limited in the resources and time that they do have, and so that can put a lot of pressure. But we know that if social emotional learning is going to be delivered effectively, we really have to think about um, taking steps to universally support all students, teaching them the skills and the tools and the competencies that they need to be successful in all these areas, because we can't assume that kids all come to school knowing these things. But then we also need to be prepared to support those students that need a little bit of extra help mastering those skills. So just as you would support a student who's struggling to learn the math curriculum by building an extra instruction um, and potentially some extra intervention so that they can be where they need to be in order to be successful, social emotional learning is the same. And so we wanna make sure that in addition to teaching all students these skills, we're also checking for understanding and making sure that we're using assessment and evaluation to, to make sure that students are where they need to be. And if they're not, filling in the gaps through additional instruction and supports. And it really should be very integrated into the school day. So mm -hmm. thinking about kind of the teachers check in and check out practices, like maybe there's a, a time where there's a collective mindfulness practice before we move into um, the next period of instruction. And then social emotional learning has been applied in many different curriculums that are differently branded and owned by different people. And so depending on the specific curriculum, they might use um, sp different language or instructions to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about like emotion regulation today, or we're going to talk about naming feelings today. Um, so there's usually some, some defined piece, um, but it's also very integrated into the rest of the, the classroom. So it's not as much like now we have our social emotional subject period um, as, as it is trickled in, and integrated into the rest of the kids day. So when I mentioned that it's kind of come up in my, um, my life as a parent, there are some um, people who have the point of view that it detracts from the more traditional curriculum that kids can and should be learning in school. Um, it, from what you just described, it sounds like it's more a layer on top, a, a lens with which we're helping children navigate. Um, could you just go a little deeper into how that, um, how that works and how it isn't detracting? Um, from the other areas of curriculum? Absolutely, so I, I think this is always a, a topic that we're, whenever there's a change in curriculum in schools, like as Aria was saying earlier, um, schools have such finite resources and time is one of those very finite resources. So I understand um, that parents wanna be informed about what their child's days are looking like um, and what is integrated into those days. And the, the thing that I think a lot of 
folks don't necessarily understand um, or isn't described accurately with social emotional learning is a lot of this is applied to academic instruction um, and about how to help kids develop more self-awareness of their own learning, develop those skills to advocate for themselves, to ask for help, to set goals, to work in groups. Um, and when we look at the research, we actually see really incredible effects on um, academic performance as well. So I think for, for families that are worried about this detracting from academic instruction, these are actually really necessary skills for um, children and students to be able to access their academic instruction. So in your, um, in your roles here at Cincinnati Children's, um, what do you see are some of these, these traits of children who, um, who have had exposure to a strong social emotional learning program or perhaps some that you feel could benefit from more? So Dr. Jordan and I are both very lucky because we get to work with children in their earliest stages of development from one month old to um, up to five years old. And our role with many of these pre, um, preschool, early uh, childhood children is to help instill these seeds of social emotional learning early on, as well as to help parents feel really competent in supporting their young children's social emotional development. So. School is a great way and a great place to deliver social emotional learning, but it's not the, certainly not the only place and perhaps the most important place for children to get those um, that type of support is at home and with their families. And so certainly we noticed that when kids get social emotional learning and support early on, they develop what's called self-regulation, which essentially translates to anything that kids need to be um, successful and um, healthy members of society. It can relate to long-term outcomes associated with physical health, associated with mental health, associated with addiction. Um, and kids who have that social emotional learning early on ultimately have fewer mental and physical health problems and are able to contribute more effectively to society. So what does that look like for the youngest kids? If, if there are parents listening who um, would like to be able to start some of these practices with their kids? What could that look like in a home environment? I think it could look many, many different ways. Um, and, and it really starts with just talking about it, just as you would talk about, um, you know, your physical health or um, what you're preparing for dinner, just talking about emotions, um, helping kids start to name and identify emotions in stories, um, in books you're reading, in TV shows that you're watching, and then really modeling for kids that all people have emotions, adults have emotions, parents have emotions, and not making it a secret when you're doing things to actively regulate your own emotions. So when, when parents notice that they're starting to get frustrated or overwhelmed, naming that feeling in themselves and naming what they're going to do to address it. So I'm noticing that I'm feeling really frustrated. I'm gonna take some deep breaths or I'm gonna go and take a walk. Um, and when I come back, we can talk about this more. So just making those internal processes a little bit more explicit for kids can be really helpful. So I think that that model, parents modeling for kids is just such a theme that we hear in so many different conversations about this role that parents play for kids um, in helping them as they are navigating growing up. Um, so I think that that works well for the little ones. 
and kind of as kids start to get older and they're kind of dealing with bigger, heavier things, um, is it still the same concept essentially? You just kind of clue them into more adult things that we're processing as the adults in their lives? It's absolutely the same concept. And the other really important piece of adults modeling it isn't just so that kids or teens see what social emotional learning looks like, but also because if you're going to support those little ones or those adolescents through very difficult times, it's really important for you as an adult to be well-regulated. And this applies not just to parents, but also to educators and schools who have one of the most, if not the most stressful professions um, and are, are dealing with a lot. And so social emotional learning, whether it's in the home or in the school, it also means that the grown-ups are learning strategies to take care of themselves and they're being really well supported in doing so. And that means that we have to create safe and supportive environments, not only for kids, but also for all of the educators and adults that are in those kids' lives, because that has a really profound effect on kids' overall well-being. And as you were talking, you were talking about the um, kind of the mental health impact and the physical health impact of kids learning this early on. Um, mental health in our community, in our country, across the world um, has really been a topic that we're seeing so many more young people struggling with their mental health, um, all of the impact of the pandemic, on and on and on. Um, are there tenants of this that can be applied, um, you know, practically to maybe help in this current um, mental health situation that we're in? Yeah. So I would argue that social emotional learning is in a way a direct response um, to help offset the mental health crisis. Because realistically speaking, probably 20% of kids, if not more, have some kind of mental health difficulty or disability and we don't have the resources to address problems mental health difficulties once they're in their most severe form for all the kids that need support so really in order to help uh, offset that we need to start by providing this prevention service which social emotional learning is a facet of so we're giving them the school the the skills mm -hmm. early on to be able to cope with some of these challenges that arise so it doesn't have the same impact later on Right, and to, to prevent some of these challenges from even occurring. So these these skills, um, you know, if, if children are taught that, like, emotions aren't something that they talk about or they don't know how to identify their own feelings, like, that's going to make these things a lot more challenging. So that's sort of the, the lens that I see this through is by teaching these, these children these skills intentionally, there we're not even going to see some of these same concerns that show up in in adolescence but that's really hard to measure and this is why i think prevention can be so challenging to to sell and to advocate for is because it's not going to happen tomorrow these are our longer mm -hmm. more downstream effects that we're going to see in our population but the other piece of social emotional learning that i think is really important is i mentioned the piece where we're teaching all children uh, and adolescents and teachers the skills that they need to make school a safe, supportive, and inclusive space. But we're also paying really close attention to the signs and symptoms that certain kids might be falling through the cracks or might be developing some struggles because we still have a chance to target it before it becomes a more severe problem that is really time-intensive and costly 
to, to respond to and to treat. And so we still have those opportunities and social emotional learning involves taking the time to screen for and to detect those problems so that we can really intervene early. And does the application of it in schools also include um, kind of guidelines for what comes next if there are kiddos who are identified as needing some additional support? Absolutely. So a lot of the screening tools that exist have um, existing cutoffs for kind of when folks should be more concerned. Um, and, and so part of the development of this framework in schools is developing the screening process, but then having a corresponding set of strategies that would correspond to each of those levels of risk. So for students who screen, you know, in the low risk category or doing fairly well, um, it might be just instruction as usual. If there are students who have more moderate risk, they might get a little bit of extra, um, like specialized, maybe small group instruction, maybe school-based counseling. And then for students who are really struggling, that might be when we bring in more community supports um, and think about those more intensive um, placements. So as I'm sitting here listening, I, you know, my kids are, I have a, I have a kiddo in junior high, I have one in elementary and I have a preschooler. So I kind of like span the, the gamut here with ages of my kids. Um, is there an awareness for these kids that they're learning these things in the school setting or is the intention that, um, you know, that it's just kind of all part of the school experience, um, or does it become more, um, kind of defined as they get older? Like how, how does, how are the kids taking this in? I think if you were to step into a classroom, you would, with a school that was delivering SEL really well, you wouldn't necessarily have the sense of something else happening that looks different from the rest of the school day. As Dr. Jordan mentioned, it's very well integrated. I believe that students are aware that they're learning these skills, and also I believe that they wouldn't say this is some tangential piece of the learning process. It's just as important as all of the other skills that they're learning to be successful. That would be my, my guess if we were to interview a preschooler <laughs> or a middle schooler or even a high schooler is that they have that lens and understanding because it's been a part of their educational journey from the beginning. And it's really developmentally tailored too, which I think is the lovely thing of, especially with adolescents, we know like independence and autonomy are so important. Um, and we also know peer relationships are really important. And a lot of students when they're surveyed in, in middle and high school would express a, a desire to feel more connected with their school or to feel like they want to have better relationships. And so I think these are goals that students themselves are identifying that they would like to be better. And, and uh, SEL serves a, a really important role in helping them meet those goals. I think it can be helpful for some parents to think about this too in the context of their workplace. So if you work within a company or within an organization, there are measures in place to make work a safe and supportive environment because if it weren't, it would be really hard to be productive and to do your job. You may be aware of some of the things that are going on or you may not be aware of all of the things that are happening behind the scene, but it doesn't necessarily feel like a separate entity. It just feels like part of working within this organization so that everybody can do their jobs really effectively. And that's the real value of having it 
be delivered by school staff and be such a part of the framework. Mm -hmm. It's not that there's this extra outside person who's coming in once a week to deliver these lessons. Um, It is very incorporated. And because of how integrated it is, it, it takes time to build these programs. So I don't think a school could go from not doing any of this programming mm-hmm. to fully delivering it within a year. Um, it, it's a very scoped and sequenced approach to making sure that these things get built in in a way that's going to be very sustainable um, and, mm-hmm. and easy to deliver for school staff. And Aria, you had mentioned a minute ago, like in an environment, in a school that um, has really, um, that's kind of progressed in their journey and they're really delivering this um, these supports to kids do you all have a sense of kind of where most typical schools fall in their journey of delivering social emotional learning support? I think that can be highly variable. I think resources are always a challenge for schools where regardless of where you are, better resource schools have better capacity to to do more and so that's going to be a perpetual struggle. I think some schools are still grappling with understanding, frankly, what social-emotional learning is and how to touch this very difficult issue. Um, I know that within Cincinnati, there's uh, mental health agencies integrated within many schools as well, and so that can be confusing for some because while it's related and we're, it's about student wellness and well-being, it's not necessarily the same thing or it really isn't the same thing as social-emotional learning. So I think my understanding would be that many schools are doing something and they may be in very various stages of integrating it or implementing it. So one of the kind of arguments against having this in schools that I've heard, um, and I live in a district, in a school district where um, this was actually an issue that was broadly discussed um, during last fall's um, school board elections is that there's there's this sense that through the integration of these principles or of the of this framework um, in schools, kids could be learning values that don't align with their parents' values. But what I'm hearing you both say is wellness and um, coping ability and all of these things that are so good. Will you unpack that a little bit for me? Like how, how are we, how are people interpreting it so differently from the wellness part of this that seems like such a good thing? I think when we come back to the, the definition and these the five core skills that are often discussed with SEL, you know, it's self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills and responsible decisions, I don't think that that those are very controversial. I think most parents would say, I want my student to be able to do all those things. I think where it's being applied, which is equally important, but is maybe where some families are struggling, is it, it can be a really powerful tool for equity. And, and we are using SEL to advocate for, we want to make schools safe and supportive for all students, for all learners regardless of their background. And so a a good portion of SEL programming is now focusing on um, racial equity um, and equity across a number of different 
diversity domains because we know that that impacts and affects how kids can show up and present at school and how kids build relationships with each other and, and with their teachers. So that's where I think that SEL has gotten pulled into some of these discussions that have been happening politically is because we are naming that this is a tool for equity and we're talking about um, racial equity in this work. But I want to go back to those five tenets that you said. Will you repeat those for us again? Yes. Self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decisions. Those are, those are really good things. And I, um, I honestly, to, I'm not exactly sure even where my kids' schools stand. And so if I am a curious, engaged parent and I want to learn more about how this is coming to life for my kids, how should I, how should I start a conversation like that? I think an important first step is trying to build relationships, bi-directional relationships with your children's school. So reaching out and trying to get a sense of what is it that they're learning and how can you apply some of these principles in your day-to-day life? Because we know that's how kids are going to learn it most effectively. Um, There are other resources as well, websites. So castle.org is a really helpful resource. Um, It stands for the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. And they offer a number of web webinars and YouTube videos that focus on specific topics and domains within SEL. Um, and then there's also some resources for younger kids. I know we were talking earlier about preschool age kids through Sesame Street. So they offer a number of lovely SEL focused videos on a variety of topics that are accessible to those, those younger kiddos. And one thing um, that we, we didn't talk as much about with how SEL is is delivered in schools is a big part of it is communication with families. So this should not be a secret. Parents should know exactly what is being talked about in their children's classrooms and actively invited and encouraged to practice those skills at home. So this is transparency is a big goal of this as well. You have answered all of my questions today. Um, is there are there any pieces of this that we haven't yet talked about that you'd like to make sure we have an opportunity to discuss. I'm just really glad that we're talking about it. I think it's it's so important and it's it's been such a big culture shift in how we think about educating children and how we think about the whole child and not just the the child that shows up to learn their math and their writing and reading and then goes home. So I think it's a really important piece of viewing children for their whole selves in schools and making sure that we're supporting them in all the important ways. And I just have to say, I feel so much hope when I work with these young students and talk to them about these topics because their level of awareness and ability to have conversations about some of these important skills and how they're applying it, it just really gives me a lot of excitement and hope for the future and and what they can bring. I agree. They're incredible little people. And I think that, um, you know, there have definitely been times where one of my kids will come home and share something that they have done that day and they've had a moment for mindfulness or a um, an educator has just taken them outside and just said let's just take a few minutes to listen and listen to what's happening around us listening to listen to what's happening in our own bodies and i have to imagine that some of those 
um, you know, some of those practices and that way of thinking um, likely goes back to this coming to life in their education spaces. And they love it. They're like, it was really cool. I heard things I've never heard before. And, um, you know, it, I, I think that the whole child is such an important part of this because academics come really easily to some kids and not so easily to others. And um, talking about emotions and understanding emotions comes more easily to some kids than it does to others. So I, I love this idea of making more of an equitable playing field. And when I think about what really matters at school, I mean, I think about when I was a student in school and I don't remember a lesson I learned on decimals or a certain book we read in all the details, but I do remember certain teachers who made me feel really accepted and who believed in me or I remembered when students were kind to each other and that warm feeling that you get. And so I, I think when there's concerns or questions about, you know, lack of understanding, I come back to that about how we're really creating these environments that feel good for students, that help them have the confidence and feel empowered to continue on their educational journey and how powerful that is. Absolutely. And, and these are skills that I think we're still working on as adults, you know, like how to, how to know when you need to ask for help, how to understand what you've learned and what you need to go back and review. Um, I think about like my time in college and it would have been a lot easier if, if we'd talked about a lot of those things beforehand. And so I think these skills can have really powerful impacts on engagement with education and graduation rates and engagement with higher education. Um, the effects are, are really, really profound. And we didn't mention this, but there have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of studies that support these findings, that implementing social-emotional learning improves all of the educational outcomes from graduation to, to you know matriculating through the system, as well as longer-term effects like physical, mental health, um, truancy, things like that. I think that's a lovely place to end it. Thank you both so much for helping us talk about this and bring it to life and hopefully clear up some um, misconceptions if there were families who had, um, you know, who didn't fully understand what this is. A thank you both for your expertise and for your time to share this with us today. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Young and Healthy podcast. Thank you so much. Join us next time. episode of Young and Healthy was recorded on March 9th, 2022. The content of the Young and Healthy podcast is for information and educational purposes. Our theme music was created by Stephen Greco, and this episode was produced by Symphony Pitts. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.